0: Hello there and welcome to another exciting, fun-filled, packed episode of the History Rocks podcast. We are still continuing with our Cold War special and I know many of you out there um, are really thinking about the exams because they are approaching quickly, aren't they? Um, So we'll see how much of this we can get through. If you haven't checked it out already, hop backwards in time and listen to some of the podcasts that I made about this time last year. It is packed full of useful information on how to tackle things like sources and extracts and how to plan essays. You really, really ought to go back and have a listen to it. Now, I'm going to start off with an absolute beaut of a joke that I came across. Listen to this. You know I love them. Listen to this bad boy. A bunch of little devils goes to see the American president. And of course, the president is pretty scared. Um, And he's like, well, what do you want? He asks them. And the devil says, well, you know that Stalin died and went to hell. And the American president's like, well, yes. And he's like, well, the devil say we were the first refugees. Kaboom good right it's good it's good it's good so Stalin is even more frightening in hell than whatever's there at the moment uh teachers out there if you're listening in I'm rolling out a range of training courses webinars 60 minute intense let's look at how we can teach different things uh, in relation to extracts and sources so if you've not looked at it hop onto the website historyrocks.co.uk And all of the details and the tickets are available on there. Come quick, because they will go very, very quickly. Uh, Right, so we are going to continue uh, looking at the Cold War. We're going to look at the achievements, or not, of this so-called thaw uh, between East and West under Khrushchev. Uh, So this is a period roughly between sort of 55 to 63, there or thereabouts. Uh, We spent a lot of last episode looking at um, the changes in foreign policy in America and the changes in the foreign policy within the Soviet Union. And we came to the conclusion, actually, that even though the Americans looked way more militant than they were before, it was a lot of hot air and that President Eisenhower was pretty open to the idea of negotiating and having diplomacy with the Soviet Union. For a variety of reasons, such as the need to avoid a nuclear holocaust, which I reckon probably would dissuade me. Um, In addition, you know, he's a military man. He thinks he can sort of uh, sit down and discuss things with Khrushchev. And of course, from the Soviet perspective, they are beginning to question um, some of Stalin's policies and they are quite keen to reverse some of the worst excesses of Stalin's policies, Um, And with Stalin gone, a major obstacle is gone uh, for negotiation between two sides. So do they actually achieve anything? This is a common sort of question, really, and it's phrased in a variety of ways, but ultimately it means the same thing. So what you're going to need is evidence to suggest that there were achievements and then evidence to call that into question. So what can we say? Well, There were a series of summits that take place after 1953 that does suggest that there is more open dialogue. Because remember, under Stalin, after the wartime conferences, there were no meetings between him and the West. So the fact that these took place is a step forward. We've got an armistice in Korea after the Korean War. So both sides have decided to down weapons and, of course, the troops. Um, from the Soviet Union and the UN, etc., have all been withdrawn. Um, during the Berlin Foreign Minister's meeting in January of 1954, uh, we've got Molotov there representing the Soviet Union, the Foreign Minister. Um, he is basically proposing an all-German government um, and representatives then from both the West and the East, to form this old German government. Um, The West, though, disagree at this meeting, at the Berlin Foreign Minister's meeting, um, because they think it's really important that there are free elections before any governments formed. Um, But even though there were disagreements at this Berlin Foreign Minister's meeting in January of 1954, it is noted to be more cordial, and I don't mean the drink, I mean, like, in atmosphere, it was a little bit more constructive, okay, than the usual conversations that had taken place. Following on from that Berlin foreign ministers' meeting in 1954, we've got one in Geneva um, in April of 1954. Um, here, we've got some agreements on, the, of course, the armistice in Korea, so that's confirmed. Um, and they've reached, uh, they managed to reach an agreement on the French withdrawal from Indochina. We're gonna have a look at all of the developments in Asia, of course, coming up. But um, the important thing to note is that the French were defeated in Vietnam in 1954 at the Battle of Dien Bien Phu, and it was like a massive loss for the French, um, and consequently, they're looking to pull out of the area And, of course, the Americans and the Soviet Union have reached an agreement to allow that to happen. Um, Dulles, though, remember John Foster Dulles? We said that he was the one who was going talking to the magazines and everything, making out Eisenhower to be um, really tough on communism. And, of course, he's a bit of a um, he's a bit like that himself. He has been going around questioning um, this settlement over Indochina because for him it seems to endorse communism in Vietnam and he's particularly unhappy about that but nevertheless nevertheless it still goes through. Um, The next big thing I would say is probably the Austrian state treaty of 1955. Uh, Austria remember Anschluss Germany Austria yes Austria was divided into four zones of occupation in a similar way to Germany with the view of sort of denazifying it and bringing war criminals to justice and all of that sort of thing, um, well, in this Austrian State Treaty of fifty-five, they've agreed to take their troops out and make Austria neutral. Um, so, consequently, then um, it allows all of those troops to leave, um, which is, I guess, a step forward, isn't it? A step forward. And later, of course, West agree. <clears throat> that they're going to try and withdraw their troops from West Germany also. So again, indicative of the fact that relationship seems to be improving. Uh, we have the Geneva summit in 55 as well, which again is noticed, noted for its more sort of productive and constructive atmosphere, yet not a lot achieved, to be fair. They've got some general agreements on scientific exchanges, exchanges of artwork and culture and dance and things like that as well. Um, but there were proposals, for quite a bizarre proposal, if you ask me, for this open skies. This came from Eisenhower. And this was the idea that you could just sort of fly planes over your, um, well, I don't want to say enemy because they wouldn't have said enemies, but they could fly planes over each of their countries um, and take photographs um, of things like, you know, nuclear stockpiles and stuff like that. And of course, the Soviet Union went hell to the no, that's not going to happen and rejected it. Uh, Discussions over reunification of Germany didn't really amount to much, Um, particularly now Germany was allowed to join NATO. That really began to sour the relations, I think, between the two. Um, Khrushchev even suggested replacing NATO and Warsaw Pact with a new kind of organisation guaranteeing collective security, which is quite an interesting move. Um, But the Americans uh, rejected that as well. Um, So, okay, not a huge amount, really, in reality, uh, achieved at that meeting in Geneva in 1955. But nevertheless, you know, they are openly talking things through. It seems to be a little bit more cordial. um, And, you know, perhaps, perhaps we could say um, that there was a thaw. Now, (coughs) okay. Okay everything's looking rosy, you're thinking, Mel, this looks fantastic, relations, is the Cold War virtually over? No. Uh, Between, particularly in 1956, I would say, between the both of them, there were a number of events that particularly soured relations, okay, that we do need to look at, there are limitations to this thought. Um, Generally also, we've also got to note that there's a continued arms race going on between the two countries. That never stops. In fact, Khrushchev is spending about a third of his GDP, gross domestic products, that's the value of everything he produces in the Soviet Union, on the military, right? So to me, that doesn't necessarily suggest that relations have improved that much. There's no real attempt to de-escalate um, and scale back or get rid of any of the nuclear stockpile something that we certainly see between Gorbachev and Reagan much later on. Um, So there's definitely limits there when it comes to the military build-up between the two countries. Um, And then we've got issues to do with Poland. Now, remember when I said Khrushchev kind of was, um, he felt that it was a bad move by Stalin booting out Yugoslavia from the common form in 1948. So the Soviets, when Stalin dies in '53, start making manoeuvres to improve relationships again with Yugoslavia, who, if you remember, was kicked out for following their own path to socialism. And then, of course, Khrushchev delivers this secret speech in 1956, um, where he's again talking about you know, reversing some of those more extreme aspects of Stalinism and beginning to criticise Stalin, which apparently, was so shocking to some that people, like, had heart attacks listening to this speech. Um, Well, because of that, some people would argue, certainly the Chinese would argue, that uh, that speech and that reconciliation triggered unrest in Eastern Europe, because people saw this as a green light uh, to rise up and um, protest against some of, I guess, the extreme Stalinism um, that pervades those countries. Uh, So Polish workers in particular in Poznan revolted in June of 1956. And this was largely to do with um, conditions in the mines and increased work targets and stuff like that. Um, So the revolt uh, was put down um, the Polish communist army uh, sent in um, troops and put um, the revolt down. But it's a kind of compromise. It's a means of like appeasing the population. Um, they appointed um, a popular former leader, Gamolka. Um, now, the USSR was very upset about this. Uh, they thought they didn't really trust Gamolka and they thought that he would press um, for Polish independence uh, and in particular um, look to pull Poland out of the Warsaw Pact. Um, So the Soviets then readied their army. They don't do anything, they don't invade, but they readied their army um, and flew to Warsaw in October in an attempt to prevent Gamolka's election, but he wins it, he does reassure Khrushchev that he had no intention of taking Poland out of the Warsaw Pact, um, and Khrushchev decided to uh, take his word for it, Um, but, uh, you know, that intervention by the Soviets really worried um, the USA. Um, Now, the Americans could have got involved here, actually. They could have really gone in there with a clear opportunity to try and roll back the spread of communism in Poland. And yet they've chosen not to. So all that stuff we spoke about in the last episode about rollback being one of the pillars of Eisenhower's foreign policy turns out not to be followed through. And that's, I think, roughly at the time when Eisenhower said, um, well, rollback can be achieved... Through peaceful means, which of course, well, I would say it's complete nonsense. Uh, so, this is a bit of a flashpoint. Some tensions then between the two. Hungary then um, also has its own problems, riots, in fact, in 1956. Um, a more moderate um, leader was brought in, Imre Naji, who sort of promised to make changes. Um, within Hungary uh, bring in I guess socialism almost with a smiling face, think of it that way Uh, relax some of the controls over the press and stuff like that Um, now Khrushchev agreed to this more moderate leader but riots still continued regardless of him being appointed Um, the Soviet Red Army uh, tried to restore order in Hungary and failed. Nagy negotiated their withdrawal in October of 1956. Um, But then Nagy declared that he was going to start sharing power with non-communists and actually pull out of the Warsaw Pact. Well, this was a step too far for Khrushchev, um, who actually sent in the troops and, you know, tanks and things like that. And apparently about 20,000 Hungarians died in the crushing... Um, of that Warsaw Uprising in 1956. Again, though, the Americans do not a lot. They set up a radio station, (laughs) Um, an anti-communist propaganda radio station called Radio Free Europe. And you might wonder how effective that was. I wonder that too. Um, But again, another flashpoint, you know, Khrushchev is is coming across as being this reforming Soviet leader. But when it comes to the potential of the Soviet Union breaking up, he seems to be um, ready to use force as and when. A further flashpoint comes in um, the Suez Canal crisis of 1956. Now, the Egyptian president there, um, Nasser, nationalised the Suez Canal. Um, in retaliation for the fact that the Americans have withdrawn funds that they've been sending for the construction of the Aswan Dam. Um, The Americans are very unhappy uh, that the Egyptians were also being supplied weapons from Czechoslovakia. And, um, of course, Britain, the UK, uh, and France partly owned aspects of the uh, canal Uh, because it was essential for the Brits in particular to get their ships going back and forth so they can travel on to India, uh, for instance. It's important trade routes to the rest of the empire. Um, So Britain turned to the Israelis and um, conspired with them to launch an attack in October of 1956 um, to allow the French and British uh, forces to sort of protect the area uh, that they controlled um the USA called for withdrawal of Israeli forces um, at the United Nations but Britain vetoed it and instead we've got the first peacekeeping force the UNef uh, sent in in November so what does this mean for the Soviet and American relations well the crisis you see, led to a closer alliance between the Soviet Union and the Egyptians um, in response to the French and British threats and their actions. Um, The Americans were very concerned about the growing influence of the Soviet Union in the Middle East, and Eisenhower created something known as the Eisenhower Doctrine in response to this, uh, which committed the Americans um, to basically help uh, any of those governments in the Middle East against power-hungry communists, um, of course. Then drawing the Americans more and more into uh, developments in the Middle East as well. So you've got, I guess, a show of um, a show of um, aggression from the Soviet Union. Um, in relation to Hungary, in particular, in 1956. Um, You've got the fact that they were prepared to use force in Poland. Um, And, of course, the Americans were very upset about uh, everything that happened in Poland. Um, And because of the Brits and the French actions in the Suez Canal, Relations between the Soviet Union and Egypt become much more close um, with the view, of course, of, um, you know, drawing the Americans then into Middle Eastern affairs with the Eisenhower Doctrine. We've mentioned the arms race, which continues between the two countries. And uh, perhaps we'll do another episode on that and some of the developments. Um, We've then, of course, got... uh, developments in 59, um, with the shooting down of the U-2 spy plane, um, and the pilot, Gary Powers, was captured and uh, confessed that it wasn't a weather plane, as they first suggested, it was a spy plane, Um, and uh, equally then, relations begin to decline further, under the new president, President Kennedy, uh, with the final construction of the um, the wall, the Berlin Wall in 1961, to try and stop the exodus from East Germany to West Germany, um, and of course Kennedy delivers that "Ich bin ein Berliner" speech in 1963, underlining his commitment to defend freedom um, in in Germany. Um, so, the relations then, even though we do get some steps forward, particularly under President Eisenhower and Khrushchev at the start of the period, um, relations by 1956, I would say, certainly take a bit of a more sour tone. Um, and then, of course, the shooting down of the U-2 spy plane in particular, and uh, you know the, the issues over Germany. Uh, the big migrations and then the building of the Berlin Wall in 61, I think, really um, is a big limiting factor uh, to the overall achievement. So, okay, we'll bring it to an end there. I hope you've enjoyed that episode. It's given you a nice little overview of the issues to consider if such a question arises. Um, If you do have any shout outs, if you do want to wish anyone the best of luck in their summer exams, drop me a line and I will, on air, give them a little message for you. Uh, You can email me on hello at historyrocks.co.uk, And I salute you. Have a good afternoon. Bye now.